As we think about the goodness of our Lord Jesus, let me invite you to open up God's Word with me today to the New Testament letter of Ephesians. We began a new series last week in Ephesians. We're in Ephesians chapter 1 today, beginning with verse 3. And as we prepare to look at this portion of God's Word, let me begin by asking a question. What inspires you to praise Or what are the things that lead you to praise God for? I'll acknowledge this morning that most often I feel led to praise God when I experience Him in creation. Yesterday morning I woke up early and went outside. It was cool, cool, crisp fall morning in the 60s. I was reading and listening to creation wake up. The hawks screeching overhead, the crows cawing or whatever they do, the birds tweeting, and then all of a sudden I began to see the leaves and the top of the hickories and oak trees begin to shake, and here come those fuzzy little rodents uh, climbing from branch to branch and jumping from tree to tree. I know I gave squirrels a bad rap a few weeks ago complaining about them eating my bird seed, but I love to watch squirrels, fascinating creatures. And so here they are, a couple of them different corners of the yard and I'm watching and they begin going to the tops of those trees and uh, picking almost ripe hickory nuts and uh, red oak acorns and they begin to merge eventually into a single large tree where it's as if for the first time they notice someone else is in their tree and so they start doing what squirrels do. They chase each other up and down and around that tree in a way that makes even the best jukes and turns of the most talented running backs look like child's play. And here are these creatures of God's creation. And I can't help but think, praise you, God, for you are creator over all. You are worthy of praise. What is it that leads you to praise the Lord? Well, Paul makes it abundantly clear in our text this morning that certainly God is worthy of praise. And he is worthy of praise for who he is and for what he has done, most notably for what he has done for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we want to hear Paul's call to praise this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's holy word. Let's hear from the Lord today. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. 
In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Would you pause with me for prayer? Oh God, this morning we want to hear from you. Lord, we want to be led by you. We want to be led to praise you. So Lord, would you lead us now by your Spirit's guidance and presence to the proclamation of your word. Lord, lead us to know and to worship Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Well, we live in a broken world. We don't have to look far to see that. We see it every day. We've seen it day after day after day. We, we live in a broken world filled with proud people practicing injustice and experiencing pain. At any given season of history, some are the persecutors and others are the persecuted. On any given day, some appear to be succeeding while others appear to be suffering. Injustice abounds, sickness remains, sinners sin. And yet our God remains sovereign. He remains in the position of supremacy over all and working out all things in accordance with His eternal purposes. We only understand His ways to the extent that He reveals them to us. But by faith, we believe that His ways include our good and ought to spark our praise. When Paul wrote Ephesians, he understood this and he invites us to join him in praising God. There's probably no more piercing and gospel-saturated invitation to praise the triune God in all the Bible than this text. You see, in the original language of the New Testament, this text from which we just read from verses 3 to 14 is one long sentence. Paul's longest sentence and quite possibly the longest Sentence in the entire Bible, a cascading flow of exaltation and praise to the eternal God over all who has extended salvation to us sinners by his matchless grace. It's a gospel rehearsal with rhythm and movement and momentum, a doxological dance, a eulogy of praise, not for the deceased, but for the living God who reigns forever and ever. This is Paul's statement of faith, carefully crafted and structured, yet filled with free-flowing praise. A reminder that theology should always lead to doxology. What do you mean by that? Re- rehearsing God's gracious gospel prompts His people to praise Him. Rehearsing His, his gracious Gospel, who he is and what he has done, rehearsing God's gracious gospel prompts his people, those who know him, to praise him. Paul begins with a benediction of 
praise, rehearsed in the very gospel, and it prompts spontaneous praise. That's what we see happening here. So I'm striving to be especially cautious this morning of taming this text. At times, we teachers and, and preachers tend to dissect the biblical text, examining and cross-examining the syntax and structure and words in order to neatly capture and present God's truth. Yet Paul's spirit-inspired, spirit-inspired praise ought to pierce and penetrate us just as it's written, prompting us to give God praise. And, and one of the ways that we can invite that this morning as the people of God is to pray this text to pray this text here's scripture that is well suited to prayers of praise Paul says praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ praise you God for you are the God over all. You're the father of your perfect son, Jesus Christ. And yet you have given us spiritual blessings that are secure in the heavens forever and ever. Praise you, God. D.A. Carson calls this text the sweep of praise. As members of God's kingdom and recipients of his grace, we want to be swept into appropriate praise. So let's pray the text and let's meditate on and memorize it. If you want to be moved to praise, experience the rhythm and movements of this benediction of praise and meditate. Let's let's write it down and let's memorize it. See, as we noted last week, Paul is writing this letter to the churches in Ephesus and he's writing from prison. He's an imprisoned Paul. Probably in Rome in about the year AD 62 and Doug Webster writes, he says, from prison, Paul began by singing the doxology, lifting his voice in praise so that others would join in. He says, we want to pay attention until our sounds, until our souls resonate with the apostles' uninhibited praise. God's spirit speaks through God's word, calling his people to know and praise him. Our worship is a response to his revelation. And so Paul intends here for praise to to lead the way with devotion and doxology framing doctrine, discipleship, and obedience. And so if you're inclined, like I far too often am, to to bypass the outburst of praise, skipping to what what does God want me to know, What, what does God want me to do, then slow down. Read the text. Meditate on the text. Write it out. Ask the Lord to help you commit it to memory. Let's slow down and invite God's eternal plan at abundant grace to sink and settle in. Let's rehearse this gospel. For rehearsing God's gracious gospel prompts His people to praise Him. So what is it? What's the gospel? What's this so-called good news? Well, first, we see here that it's that God the Father planned, purposed, and initiated our salvation. That God the Father planned, purposed, and initiated our salvation. We're talking about the doctrine here of election, 
a bad word in some circles, but a biblical word describing the mysterious yet glorious truth that salvation is God's work from start to finish. He thought it up, he planned it, he willed it, and he has fulfilled it for our good and for his own glory. Verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In other words, before we were ever born, God knew us, he chose us, he set his affection upon us, he planned and purposed to save us. We see examples of this truth all throughout the scriptures again and again and again. We could point to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Moses and to Jeremiah, to the apostles, to Paul, a mysterious truth that is absolutely consistent with God's mercy and His grace and His love and the necessity of our personal belief in Jesus Christ. And usually when we dive into this particular topic that is so explicitly laid out here in Paul's opening benediction of praise as well as a few other places in God's Word, we we say, yes, but, and then we begin to put little footnotes in there and we want to qualify it and nuance it in certain ways and certainly there's time and place for that but let's not be too quick to make God less mysterious and mighty and sovereign than He presents Himself to be. He is worthy of our worship. Do we fully understand His ways and how His sovereignty interacts with our responsibility? Certainly not. No one does. He is God overall, and yet He is gracious. When, when asked how He reconciled election with man's responsibility and salvation, Charles Spurgeon responded, I, I never reconcile two friends. You see, we know, we absolutely know that there is no salvation apart from faith in Jesus Christ. But there is no faith in Jesus apart from the Father's will. Praise God, He has called us. Praise God, He has set us apart to be positionally holy in His Sight. Praise God, He has graciously adopted us into His family, granting and gifting us with a position of sonship, meaning we believers have all the rights and privileges that belong to the Father's children. This is why, this is why a prisoner could praise. And His choosing of us is an expression of His love for us. It pleased God to save us. In Christ. A truth that when heard ought to prompt our praise. So let's rehearse the gospel. Rehearsing God's gracious gospel prompts his people to praise him. What's this gospel? It's that God the Father planned, purposed, and initiated our salvation, and that he did so through his son Jesus. It's that God the Son revealed and accomplished God's eternal plan of redemption. God the Son revealed and accomplished God's eternal plan of redemption. The grace God has shown the saved has been freely given in the one He loves, verse 6. The one the Father loves is His perfect Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. The only one that He had, because because He loved us, He gave His one and only Son to redeem the enslaved of the world. Redeemed from what? Redeemed from the penalty of sin and from enslavement to the power of sin. And Jesus, God has redeemed His people. He's redeemed us 
from a metaphorical slavery. How? Through the precious blood of His beloved Son. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. You see, to be redeemed by Christ means freedom. Freedom through forgiveness in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us, that He poured out upon us. This was no spur-of-the-moment decision. It was not a haphazard plan, but something God determined before the creation of the world, completely consistent with all wisdom and understanding. This is who God is and what He has done. The evidence that He is an overwhelmingly gracious God. This is who He is. And so Paul's praising this one. He's praising God. He's bursting into praise of God and calling us to join him in praising God because this sovereign God has willed and planned and written and fulfilled his very plan to forgive sinners. A rescue operation, a gracious rescue operation that frees and forgives sinners, inviting sinners to permanently wear the name of Jesus Christ, God's very Son, and to fully experience restoration with God now and forever. You see, in Jesus, God has accomplished this plan, and in Jesus, God has revealed this plan. In His perfect timing, and in His perfect way for His good pleasure. In other words, God delights in this good plan of redemption. Again, evidence of his exceedingly gracious and extraordinarily loving heart toward us. This is good news for sinners saved by the grace of God. Paul's praise here in verses 9 and 10 declares that in the gospel, God has made this plan, this same plan. He's made it known to us and that in Jesus, all things in heaven and on earth find their meaning. That's what... Verses 9 and 10 are saying here, as this letter unfolds in the words of Frank Thielman, Christ will emerge as the organizing principle of all creation. So, Meadowbrook, this gospel is good. It's to be the heartbeat of our lives. It's to be the heartbeat of Christ's church. So let's rehearse it. Let's celebrate it. Let's declare it. Let's hear it. Let's share it every time that we gather that we might be prompted day by day to praise the one from whom we hear, believe, and receive it. God the Father planned, purposed, and initiated our salvation. God the Son revealed and accomplished God's eternal plan of redemption. And brothers and sisters, God the Spirit guarantees and gives us a taste of our future with Jesus. The Holy Spirit guarantees our Future and gives us a taste of our future with Jesus. We live in a broken world. And if this world is all that we have, our future is hopeless. In this world, we have good days, good times, and we have hard times. In this world, people face triumphs and joys and celebrations, but also suffering. And if this world is all that we have, our future is Hopeless. I was poignantly reminded this past week as I gazed into a casket, right? Carrying a, a lifeless body that all of us are headed for death. There's no way around it. Again and again and again, the consistent testimony of life includes physical death. And apart from 
the Christ who redeems, apart from Jesus, the future looks dim, dark, depressing death. But that's not the tone of Paul's opening benediction, now is it? No, not at all. For the ones chosen and loved and adopted by the Father, the ones redeemed and forgiven through the blood of the Son, have an eternal hope evidenced by the presence of God's Holy Spirit, who is, in his words, in Paul's words, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance into the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is what theologians call God's realized kingdom or his inaugurated kingdom, a foretaste of eternity. As believers in Christ, we are already justified. We're already declared righteous in God's eyes. We're already given the position, the status, the the moral right standing with God through faith in Jesus Christ. But we are not yet completely free from the lure of sin. We are already spiritually raised with Christ, but we do not yet have resurrection bodies. Christ is already reigning on high, but all do not yet realize and submit to his rule. See, already not yet of Christ's kingdom. Like a down payment on a house, the Holy Spirit's presence and work in our lives is a foretaste of eternity. A glimpse of our future with Jesus. You see, Paul's rhythm of praise has a Trinitarian character. We've seen that as we've moved from the Father to the Son to the Spirit. But its primary focus is on Jesus, the Son of God and Savior of all. Jews and Gentiles alike who put their faith in him with ten, ten, ten in Christ statements in just 12 verses. It has an unmistakable Christological emphasis declaring that God's gracious gospel was planned, purposed, and accomplished through the Christ who redeems and reigns over all. This is Christ-centered worship. And so church, how should this burst of praise intersect with our lives? How should it impact our day-to-day? What difference Does what Paul says here make in our lives? Should it impact our lives? Should these truths affect anything that we say, do, feel, and think? Yes. Absolutely. Of course. How so? Two ways that I want to share as we conclude. Number one, take no credit. Take no credit. Take no credit for your salvation for your forgiveness for your position before God there's no credit to be taken here for the father chose us in Christ before the creation of the world was anybody around in that day no I didn't think so for the father chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be recipients of his grace adopted into his family forgiven through his son sealed by the spirit and awaiting Christ's return. Take absolutely no credit. And number two, join the chorus. Take no credit and join the chorus. I don't know what you're facing or feeling today, but as you face it, let me encourage you to consider the imprisoned Paul's sweep of praise to the God of the gospel. 
Remember what the Father planned for you? Christ has accomplished and given to you and the eternal inheritance, the Holy Spirit's presence guarantees for you. Rehearsing God's gracious gospel prompts his people to praise him. So Christians, fellow recipients of God's great redemption, brothers and sisters who belong to the church at Meadowbrook and more importantly to God's eternal kingdom, take no credit for your position in Christ and join the chorus of all those who've been redeemed by Jesus Christ. And so we hear the invitation of the psalmist, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. We have reason to sing, to shout, to declare praise. Let us us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. In other words, let us worship the God of the ages who has redeemed us in his perfect son, Jesus, who is our Savior. He is worthy of praise. And so, in just a moment, we're going to do that collectively. We're going to do that together as we continue worship. We're going to worship through song, and we're also going to worship by fixing our gaze, our attention, our focus on the sacrifice of Jesus. Who gave his life for us. Who laid down his life for us. Whose body was broken for us. Whose blood was shed for us. So that we could be forgiven. So that we could be redeemed. So that we could be adopted into the family of God. Now and forever. Awaiting Christ's return. And awaiting our future with Jesus. And so. By the Lord's instruction. According to his His plan, His will, His purpose for His people. We want to remember. We want to remember well. And so as our deacons come, even now, who are serving communion and find their place at the tables, let me encourage you, church, brothers and sisters in Christ, to continue preparing your own heart, to continue reflecting on the sacrifice of Jesus, who is our Savior, and to do so with great joy and thanksgiving as an act of worship, worshiping the God who saves. And so in just a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer of thanksgiving and then we're going to sing together. We're going to continue worshiping. And as we sing, you're invited to come to the table, to any table. If you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to take the elements as instructed and you can come to the table. You can Take those and feel free to take and to consume those right here at the table. Or if you prefer, feel free to take them back to your pew and consume them over the course of the hymn in your own time as the Lord prepares you. But for each of us, may we fix our gaze on Christ. May we celebrate His completed work, His salvific work, His redeeming work in our lives, in our hearts that secures us and gives us right standing with God now and forever. Would you pause with me as we pray a prayer of thanksgiving and then, and then you come. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your sovereign will and purposes. Father, we thank you for setting your heart upon us before the creation of the world. Father, we thank you for sending your son, for planning and willing and sending your son to redeem us, to purchase us.
Lord, to take the penalty and punishment for us so that we could be free, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be adopted into your family. And so, Lord, we pray that you would guide us now by the presence, the indwelling of your spirit as we continue to worship and remember who you are and what it is that you have accomplished for us. Help us to do so, fixing our gaze on you. Help us to do so with great joy and thanksgiving. Help us to do so with a heart and attitude of worship. For you are worthy of our praise. Be praised in us now. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.